Good, yeah? Awesome. Well, it's great to see you guys. Hey, before we dive into the message, uh, one announcement for you, and it's a big one, so I wanted to be the one to share it with you. How selfish is that? Uh, grab this out. That, that did not get the laugh I was hoping, so I'll try my best later. Uh, grab this card out. You should have had it in your seat when you came in. Uh, celebrate 10. So it's hard to believe, but this year we actually hit the 10-year milestone as a church. Pretty incredible, right? It's, uh, it's three years for us as Cross Point City Church, but 10 years as a church. And if you're new to our church and you're going, how does that happen? Well, come on the 21st and you'll actually hear the story of our church. Uh, this church has truly, over the last 10 years, experienced some of the highest of highs, but it's also gone through the lowest of lows. Uh, it is only because of God's grace and faithfulness that this church even exists today. And God continues to do things that only he can do in and through the people that make it up. And so we have a lot to celebrate in a few weeks. So here's what we're doing. On Sunday, August the 21st, instead of having four gatherings, we're going to have one big gathering at the Clarence Brown Conference Center here in Cartersville. We're going to get everybody into the room together and just have one huge celebration, all right? And so I want you to take this home. Some of you, you've already got something that looks like this in the mail, but put it on your fridge, mark it on your calendars. If you show up here at 1130 that day, you're going to be alone and you will have missed the whole thing, all right? That will be very disappointing, so don't do it. And just a couple quick notes, okay? Uh, I would encourage you to get there early. You're not going to come to church that day with just a few hundred people. You're going to join about 1,300 other people for church. And so you need to give yourself extra time to park, to find a seat. We'll have the doors open early, so make it a point to get there early. And then secondly, uh, we will not be offering kids' ministry that day for kids' kindergarten through fifth grade. If you have a kid in that age range, we want you to bring them into the gathering with you to be a part of that celebration. Now, if you have kids who aren't in school yet, preschoolers, birth through five years old, we got them covered. We'll have uh, kids ministry over at the conference center, so just be sure to look for the signs, and it'll point you in the direction to go when you get there, okay? August 21st, 1030 a.m., do not miss it. It's going to be an amazing day. All right, now that that's out of the way, let's grab our Bibles or if you have a device with an app, you can turn your Bibles on. Let's go to Matthew 7 together. Matthew chapter 7. Uh, after four summers and 31 weeks of teaching, we are finally closing out today our best sermon ever series. Uh, so Matthew 7, we're going to be there one final time. All right, confession. My wife and I, who's here this morning, we are HGTV addicts. I don't know why in the world some of you are like us. I don't know why we find reality TV shows about house hunting and uh, home improvement fascinating, but for some reason we do, right? I think if you're in your 30s, you just have to like it. It's a non-negotiable. We love it. One of our favorite HGTV shows is a show called Flip or Flop, and if you've never seen it, it's about this couple that lives out in Southern California, and they buy just old, dilapidated, run-down houses. They renovate them. And most oftentimes, they sell them for substantial profits. Uh, well, a couple weeks ago, we were watching Flip or Flop, and they bought this house that had major foundation issues. Both sides of the foundation were sinking into the ground, and it was causing the house to bow and to crack down the middle. Now, here's what's crazy. They spent $40,000, followed by four zeros, $40,000 to bring in a crew to repair the foundation. Now, why in the world would they do that? 
Like, why would they invest so much money into a part of the house that no one would ever see? Well, the answer's simple, and you don't need a construction background to know it. I'll show it to you. The foundation of a structure is critical to the life of the structure built upon it. Let me just say it again. The foundation of a structure is critical to the life of the structure built upon it. If you have a solid, uh, sound uh, foundation, chances are you're going to have a strong structure. If you have a bad, unstable foundation, well, chances are, regardless of how nice that structure appears on the surface, it will come crashing down at any moment without warning. This is what we find Jesus teaching in our passage for today concerning life. You see, in reality, every single person in this room today is building their life on a certain foundation. You're either building on a good, strong foundation that will allow your life to stand throughout anything that comes your way, or you're building on a weak, unstable foundation that will result in your life crashing down at any moment without warning. The question you have to answer is this, which foundation are you building your life upon? Which foundation are you building your life upon? Well, we're going to dig into the passage and let Jesus help us to answer that question. So if your Bibles are open, we're going to pick up in Matthew 7, verse 24. If you don't have a Bible with you, this stuff will be on the screens. Here's what Jesus says. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell, and look at this last part, and great, great was the fall of it. So in these few verses, Jesus, he's basically comparing and contrasting two different types of builders. Builders who build on strong foundations versus those who do otherwise. And this illustration was brilliant on Jesus' part. You see, when he taught the Sermon on the Mount, he, along with his audience, they were literally on the side of a mountain overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And all along the shores of Galilee were houses. Now, if you built your house on the shore of Galilee, you had to make a decision. Am I going to build my house on the sand and allow the sand to serve as my foundation or will I dig feet underneath the sand to the bedrock and anchor my house into the bedrock and let the rock serve as my foundation? Well, as Jesus points out for his audience, it would be really foolish for a person to build on the sand. See, sand's unstable. It moves, it shifts. When storms come, the sand gets washed away. So if your house is built upon the sand, your house gets washed away with it. The wise thing to do is to build upon the rock. Rock is stable. Rock doesn't move. When the storms come, the rock serves as an anchor for the house built upon it. And again, Jesus is teaching here that the same is true concerning life. The same decision that these people faced faces us. Here it is. Will we build our lives upon the rock or will we build our lives upon the sand? Now, in making that decision, the first thing Jesus wants us to know is this, that he's the rock. He's the rock. His words, his teaching, his commands are the rock. What he's done for us through his life, death, and resurrection to save us from sin, death, and hell, that's the rock. Jesus, hear me, he is a sure foundation. 
He doesn't falter. He doesn't fail. He doesn't change. He doesn't move. You and I can build our entire lives on him with great hope and confidence. And we see the proof of this all throughout the scriptures. Uh, I'll show you a few just to make my point, all right? Uh, going back to the Old Testament, Isaiah 28, 16. This is the great prophet Isaiah foretelling about Jesus, the coming Messiah. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am the one who was laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. So whoever believes, he's speaking of Jesus here, whoever believes will not be in haste. Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 20. This is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. He says, since then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Acts 4, verse 11. This is Peter, the disciple of Jesus, confronting the men, the religious leaders of his day that were responsible for putting Jesus to death. I love this. You're going to see this in our uh, series starting on the book of Acts next week. But here's Peter, the coward who denied Jesus at his crucifixion, now getting in the face of the men who put Jesus to death and through the power of the Holy Spirit, courageously confronting them. And he says to them, this is the Jesus, the Jesus you crucified. This Jesus, he's the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And then finally, 1 Peter 2, 6 and 7, Peter again, he's writing to uh, Gentiles in the early church, non-Jewish believers, and he says, for it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him, believes in Jesus, will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. You see, Jesus is really reiterating in Matthew 7 what this book in its entirety teaches about him. That he is a sure foundation. That he is a rock that you can build your life upon. That if you want your life to last both now and in eternity, he's the only foundation you can choose. Which brings me to Jesus' second point. Look at this. He teaches in these verses that the life built upon the rock will stand. Here's a simple question for you. Do you want your life to stand? Do you want it to stand? Do you want all the aspects of your life that you care about to stand? Do you want your, your faith and your friendships and your finances, your marriage? Do you want your, your relationships with your kids to stand? Do you want your character, your integrity, your hope for eternity to stand? If you do, look, build your life upon Jesus. Build your life upon Jesus. Now, the true test of whether or not you've done that is found in this. What happens when the storm comes? When the storm comes your way, are you swept away with it or are you still standing? Look, when Jesus talks about the storm in these verses, he's alluding to both future and present realities. The future reality he's speaking to is final judgment, that day on which you and I stand before him as God, king of the universe, and we receive from him either justice or mercy, life or death, heaven and hell. Jesus is pointing out what the Bible teaches, that it's only those who have chosen him as the rock of their salvation that will stand through that final judgment and receive life. Well, we've been hitting on this the last couple of weeks, but I'll just make sure you're getting it, all right? Uh, the foundation for your salvation is not your good works. The foundation for your salvation is not self-righteousness. The foundation for your salvation is not a simple acknowledgement of who Jesus is. 
The foundation for your salvation is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You have to put your faith in his life, death, and resurrection for you. You have to make him your God, Savior, Lord, and King. You have to believe that Jesus Christ is the only one who can get you into the kingdom one day. That's the foundation you stand on. Now, secondly, when Jesus speaks of the storm, he's also alluding to present realities. Present realities that we'll call the storms of life. Now, I know you know this because you're smart people, but I'm going to say it anyway. The storms of life are inevitable. While we live in a world that has been hijacked by sin, infected and affected every way by it, and because that's true, life at times is going to be really, really difficult. You do not get to decide whether or not the storms of life come your way. The only decision you get to make is which foundation you're building your life upon. You see, life's going to be hard at times. I told you earlier this year that last fall was one of the most difficult seasons of my life that I can remember. Uh, Our church, we entered the next campaign to raise money to relocate our church family to a new location. And good news is right around the corner on that. So just stay tuned, all right? But I went into it not knowing what to expect. So I met with several of my friends who are pastors who've done campaigns similar to ours before us. And they all told me the same thing. James, get ready for the most intense spiritual warfare you've ever experienced in your life. And they were right. Like, I literally felt like the enemy was trying to kill me. He was attacking me spiritually, emotionally, relationally, even physically. I was suffering in some ways. I mean, I was discouraged. Joy was gone. There were certain Sundays I didn't even want to show up here to preach. It was bad. I felt like I was in the middle of a storm. And hear me, I know some of us showed up today and we feel like that right now. Like you walked in and you're sitting in the seat and life for you right now is harder than it's ever been. You feel like you're being swept away. I know it's true because I spent time rereading some of the prayer cards this past week. Like it broke my heart just reading card after card. Uh, Pray for this addiction. Pray for this cancer. Pray for my lost spouse. Pray for these suicidal thoughts. Pray for my depression. Pray for my anxiety. Pray for my, uh, my, my marriage that's falling apart. Just need after need. Some of you are in the middle of a storm right now. Please hear me. Jesus is saying here to us that when the storms of life come, they will inevitably expose the foundation our life is built upon. Let me say it again. When the storms of life come, they will inevitably expose the foundation that our lives are built upon. You see, it's easy to fake it when life is easy, right? Oh, yeah, of course Jesus is my foundation. Life's built upon him. You can fake it all day. But when life gets hard, there is no more faking it. Either you're going to stand through it or your life is going to fall apart right along with the world around you. You see, if you make it through... And you might make it through beat up, battered, torn, having to pull limbs off the roof of your life, having to repair shattered windows. But if you make it through still standing, it proves that Jesus all along was truly your foundation. You see, when the world around you is falling apart, only Jesus can keep you from falling apart. On the other hand, Jesus teaches this, that the life not built upon the rock will fall. Again, simple question. Do you want your life to fall apart? Do you want all the different aspects of your life to fall apart? Do you want your faith and your friendships and your finances and your marriage to fall apart? Do you want your character and your integrity to fall apart? Do you want your hope and eternal life to fall apart? If you're the weird person in the room that's thinking, James, that's exactly what I'd like. Yeah, that's what I want. We love you and we'll pray for you. But, but here's the key, right? Don't build your life upon Jesus. 
Choose to build your life upon a different foundation. Show up in eternity one day, and that day of judgment will be a bad day for you. Hear me, I say this in love because I care about you. If you show up in eternity without Jesus as the rock of your salvation, you will be swept away in the storm of God's wrath and judgment. If you want your life to fall apart this side of eternity, don't build it on Jesus. The storms of life will come, and I promise you, life will fall apart. I'm sure like me, you know people who've experienced that, and you can point to them, and and they're examples for you. I have people in my life right now whom I love dearly who have been washed away by the storms of life. Like everything on the surface seemed fine when life was easy. They were church-going people, looked like they loved Jesus, trying really hard to be the people they thought they needed to be, and then the storm came. Somebody got sick. uh, Somebody lost a job. Someone died unexpectedly. Tragedy hit, and the next thing you know, away they go. Everything looked fine on the surface until the storm came, and the storm exposed. There were problems under the surface. They had built their entire life on a foundation other than Jesus. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you walked in and you're struggling, man, and you feel like you, you, you can't find footing, your hope, your confidence. Like, man, it's something that you want and need, but you're trying to grab at these other things that just can't deliver, won't deliver. Or maybe you're the person who's listening to all this and you're going, well, James, I don't ever want to end up there. So how in the world can I be confident today that Jesus is truly the foundation I've built my life upon? Well, I'll show you Jesus' answer. We see it in the passage. It's really simple. Jesus says, hear what I say, do what I say. Hear what I say, do what I say. So, listen, making Jesus the foundation of your life at the end of the day, it is a matter of obedience. Do you want to build your life upon him? Hear what he says, do what he says. I've got a five-year-old daughter at home named Rowan, and Rowan loves to disobey. I'm convinced it's her favorite thing in the world to do is just to disobey. So, Disobeys all the time, and uh, one of the ways she disobeys is by jumping on our furniture. But I've told the girl a thousand times, don't jump on the couches, don't jump on the beds, and she does it anyway, right? Like within five seconds of me telling her not to. I always tell her, babe, we don't do that because one, we need to take care of our stuff, and two, daddy doesn't want you getting hurt. So a few weeks ago, uh, we put our girls in the bed, and just a few minutes after putting them down, I hear this loud bang followed by intense screaming and crying coming from Rowan's room. So I rush upstairs, I open the door, and here is my daughter in the floor. And I ask her, baby, what happened? And she says to me through tears, well, daddy, I was jumping on the bed and I fell off. And so I, you know, I went over and got her up and did what dad should do, and I comforted her and made sure she was all right. And after I figured out she was okay, I did what every parent does in a situation like that, and I said to her, girl, you know better, right? I've told you a thousand times, don't jump on the bed. We don't jump on the furniture. Look, you can't just hear what I say. You have to do what I say. This is what Jesus is teaching You want to build your life upon me? You want me to be the foundation of life? You can't just hear what I say. You have to do what I say. In verse 24, he says the person who hears what he says and does what he says is like that wise builder who builds his house upon the rock. On the other hand, in verse 26, he says the person who hears what he says but refuses to do what he says is like that foolish builder who builds his house on the sand. You see, Jesus is reminding us here that there's a big difference between knowledge and wisdom. You can know a lot of things 
and still lack in wisdom if you don't apply and practice what you know. Wisdom is doing what you know to do. Foolishness, hear me, foolishness is knowing what to do and choosing to do otherwise. I cannot tell you how many conversations I have had over my years in ministry uh, with people walking into my office whose lives are falling apart as a result of their own foolishness. They don't walk in and go, James, I had no idea that this kind of decision would wreck my life like this. No, instead they walk in and they say, I knew better, man. I knew better and I still chose otherwise. I knew I shouldn't have stolen from my company. I did it anyway. I knew I shouldn't have had the affair. did it anyway. I've known for the last 20 years that I should have been loving my wife like Jesus loves this church, sacrificing myself for her, and I didn't do it. Now my marriage is falling apart. I knew I should have honored and respected my husband like the church honors and respects Christ, but all these years I haven't done it. Now my marriage is falling apart. And I knew I shouldn't have gone into massive amounts of debt, buying stuff I don't need to impress people I don't even like, but I did it anyway. And now I can't figure out how to fix this mess I've created. I knew what I should have done. I didn't do it. I knew I shouldn't have done it, but I did it anyway. We've all been there, haven't we? Every single person in the room, including this guy on the platform, we've been there. I love that Jesus loves us enough to say to us, quit being foolish. Quit being foolish. Don't just hear what I say, you have to do what I say. Because if you do otherwise, you are building your life upon a foundation that will not last. And whether it's now or in eternity or both, at some point your life will come crashing down without warning. If you still have your Bibles open, I want you to save your place in Matthew 7. Because we're going to come back to it in just a few minutes. But I want you to flip over with me a few books to the book of James. If you're new to Bible reading, just go to the right and eventually you'll run into it. James chapter 1, uh, we did a series on the book of James earlier this year, so if you were here for this week, this will sound somewhat familiar to you, but I thought it was worth revisiting today. In James chapter 1, James, who was the brother of Jesus, he takes these words from Jesus in Matthew 7, and he expounds upon them. So look at it with me. James 1, starting in verse 22, James says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Sounds familiar, right? For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once he forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So I love it. James is teaching what Jesus teaches. That you and I can't just hear the word, we have to do the word. And if we don't do what the word says, we're a lot like that foolish builder building our lives upon the sand. We deceive ourselves when we hear and refuse to walk in obedience. Like we believe the lie that our life will stand, that our life will last, that we'll know joy and satisfaction, even if we walk in disobedience to Jesus. And James uses a great illustration to really drive his point home. He says, consider the man who looks at his face in a mirror, just stares at himself, and then walks away and immediately forgets what he looks like. So, right, imagine you get out of bed tomorrow, and uh, you're getting ready for work or school, so you go into the bathroom, and you see yourself, and it's just not a good moment for you, right? You have food stuck in your teeth from last night's dinner, drool caked on your face, your hair's a mess, guys, you need to shave, ladies, your makeup's just everywhere, like all this needs some work. And so you see it, and you think to yourself, i got to put myself together before I leave the house but then you leave to go eat breakfast, 
and you immediately forget about all this that you just saw. James is saying that's a picture of who you are if all you do is hear the word and you don't do the word. You see, this book is like a spiritual mirror. Anytime you read it or anytime you hear it taught, it's literally like the God of the universe is holding this up in front of you saying, uh, do, do you see yourself? Look, you see who you are? Do you see how broken you are, how in need you are? Do you see all the areas of your life that you need me to invade, to restore, to redeem, to fix, to repair? Do you see what I'm trying to show you? What you and I can't do is simply look into the spiritual mirror that is God's word and then set it aside and not do anything with it. If we want anything to change in our lives, we have to look into this spiritual mirror and then act in obedience. This is what James is teaching in verse 25. He said, not our hearing, it's not our hearing, but our doing that leads to two things. The first is freedom. He calls the word of God the law of liberty. He's reminding us that when we obey the teachings of Jesus, we don't lose freedom, we actually gain it. I mean, think back to my, relate, or, uh, my illustration with my daughter jumping on the bed. Why do I ask her not to jump on the bed? It's not because I want to ruin her little five-year-old life, right? Like, she loves jumping on the bed, and there is no fun that happens in the Griffin household, so I'm shutting it down. It's not why I do it. I am trying to keep my daughter from things called broken arms and concussions, right? I'm trying to help my daughter walk in freedom from things that could harm her or hurt her in some way. Can I just tell you that the teachings and commands of Jesus are given to us for the same purpose? Jesus is trying to protect us from things that could harm and destroy our lives. He's trying to point us to his way of life so that we can experience life in the way it was meant to be. Look, he wants us to know the freedom of a life built upon a sure foundation. James also says that when we walk in obedience, it leads to blessing. Now, I love this. If we're not careful, uh, we might think that, that James is teaching legalism here, that in some way we have to obey to earn the love and acceptance of God, but that's not what he's teaching. Counter to the gospel. This is why earlier in the passage in verse 19, he calls us brothers. Like he wants us to be reminded that, that we're already loved and accepted by God because of what Jesus has done for us at the cross. He laid his life down in our place for our sins to earn God's love and acceptance and so what he's teaching is, since we're loved and accepted by God, we should obey Jesus out of love for Jesus. And when we obey him, blessing follows. We get to experience the blessing of the life that he created us and saved us to live. We also experience the blessing of knowing that no matter what comes our way, no matter what storms surface, that Jesus has us. He has us. And let me just hammer this home for a minute. Because some of us might be here today thinking that when the storms of life come, it's our job to hold on for dear life. And maybe that's where you are, like life is hard and you're trying to hang on and you're trying to, to stay close to Jesus and you feel like your grip is weakening and you're losing your footing. Can I just remind you, it is not the structure's job to hold to the foundation, it is the foundation's job to hold the structure. Look at me. It is not your job to hold tightly to Jesus through the storm. Yes, stay close. Yes, walk with him. But at the end of the day, it is Jesus' job to hold tightly to you. He has you. That is the blessing that we get to experience in knowing Jesus Christ as our rock and our foundation. Amen? It's good news. Listen, if you still have your Bibles open, go back to Matthew 7. We're going to wrap it up. 
As we close, I want to show you how the crowds responded to this great sermon from Jesus. I love this. Matthew 7, verses 28 and 29. Here's what the Bible says. That the crowds, if I can find it myself, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. That is the response that every Jesus-loving preacher hopes for. That the crowds would show up and that they would leave astonished. Not by their personality or their passion or their eloquence, but that the crowds would leave astonished at the words of Jesus. You see, I've said this before and I will keep saying it as long as I'm your pastor. Uh, I hope that you don't show up week after week just to hear from James. Like I really do hope that. I love what I get to do. This is one of the greatest blessings of my life, getting to stand on this platform week after week to teach the word of God. And I appreciate you showing up, right? It's a lot more fun teaching to a room full of people uh, than to a room with no people. So thanks for being here. But hear me, if you show up week after week to hear from me, you're missing it. You're missing the point. And there's going to be a Sunday that comes and you're going to feel let down because you're going to think to yourself, wow, James wasn't very good today, right? I hope you don't come to hear from me. I hope you come to hear from Jesus, to hear from the word of God, to hear what the Holy Spirit would have to say to you about what he wants to do in your life to make you more like Christ. That's why we show up on Sundays to hear from him. You see, my words carry no authority. Only Jesus' words carry authority. That's what we read. Guys like me, guys like the scribes that Jesus' audience heard from on a regular basis, all we do is teach from authority. Like I stand up here with this book and I tell you what Jesus has said. Jesus speaks with authority. Why? Because he's God. He doesn't get up and say, let me tell you what someone else has said. Let me tell you about this great teacher and, and what he says about life. No, Jesus gets up as God and his good works prove he's God. His sinless life proves he's God. His resurrection from the dead proves he's God. And he says, let me speak to you as God. His words carry weight that mine don't carry. The words of Jesus can change your entire life. Mine can't come close to that. But listen, listen, listen. To his point earlier, if you want his words to change your life, you can't just hear what he'd have to say to you. You actually have to do what he says. So my question as we shut this down is this. Are you doing that? Are you doing that? Like when it comes to eternity, have you done what Jesus says? Have you put your faith in his life, his death, his resurrection for you? Have you made him your God, your Savior, your Lord, and your King? Like, are you standing on him as the rock of your salvation? Are you that person, like, if life were to end for you today, you'd show up in the kingdom and, and you'd say to God, look, I, I'm a sinner, I'm broken, man, I, I've messed many things up, but I know that this moment doesn't depend on me. It depends on the sacrifice of Christ for me, the righteousness of Jesus given to me. And the only reason I should be Allowed into the kingdom is because I'm standing on the one who is my foundation, Jesus Christ, rock of my salvation. Have you done what he says? Now, now let me ask you this. When it comes to life on this side of eternity, are you doing what Jesus says? Are you doing what he says? Are you the person who hears this book taught or you read it for yourself and you just go to God in prayer and you say to him, God, I can't do this on my own. There's no way. You can't love my neighbor like myself. Love and pray for my enemies. Sacrifice, give, serve selflessly. Love people like Jesus. 
God, I cannot get this right. So through the power of your Holy Spirit that lives within me, give me what I need to walk like Jesus, to live like Jesus, to serve like Jesus, to love like Jesus. I need you. Is that you? Are you doing what he says? Is he your foundation? Is he your rock? Have you built your life upon him? Listen, if you're here today and you know you haven't done that, can can I just tell you, you can't build your life upon Jesus until you know Jesus. It's impossible. You don't build your life on Jesus through obedience. Obedience follows after your life establishes itself upon him. If you don't know Jesus, that's where you have to start. That's where you have to start. And if you need to put your faith in him today, as your God, your Savior, your Lord, your King, your salve- or your rock, your, your foundation. I want to help you do it right now. So just all over the room, let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. And I just want to ask us to settle in, to forget about distractions, the people around us. And just really focus in on, on you and the Lord. Look, if you're that person, and, and you know if this is you, If you're that person who's walked in today and you have not established and built your life upon Jesus Christ, there's never been a moment where you've reached out to him, asking him to save you, to become your God, Savior, Lord, and King. I want to help you do it right now. Maybe you're the person uh, who's walked in and, and you're here today trying to find something. I need hope. I need confidence. I need peace because... As you look out at life, man, the storms are just washing you away. I had a lady after 8.30 come and tell me about her 52-year-old brother who nine years ago after their mother committed suicide fell into a deep depression, became a workaholic, became an alcoholic. His wife left him. He found himself at rock bottom. And at 52 years old at rock bottom, he met Jesus. And Jesus changed his life. And today he's a different person. Maybe that's where you are. You've walked in and and you're at rock bottom. The storms of life are tearing you apart. And maybe you're not here by accident. Like maybe God brought you here today so that you could hear about the Jesus who wants to change your life and set you free. If you need him right now in prayer, I would just say to you to cry out to God and just tell him, God, I need Jesus as my foundation. God, I have looked to so many things and so many people for hope, for joy, for peace, for confidence, and none of it has worked. But I believe today that Jesus works. I put my faith in his death on the cross for me. I put my faith in his resurrection from the dead for me. God, would you save me today? Take control of my life. Set my feet upon the rock that is Jesus and give me all that I need to live the life you've created me to live. Listen, with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, if you just pray that or something like it, and you put your faith in Jesus today for the first time, I want to ask you to do a simple favor. Would you just right now where you're sitting, just lift your hand to acknowledge that you made that decision. James, that's me. Just throw it up. Just throw it up real high. James, that's me. Our prayer team's going to come and put a resource in your hand. We've got hands over here on the side. James, that's me. I put my faith in Jesus today. Trust in him for the first time. Anybody else? Awesome. Awesome. Let me tell you what we're going to do in the next few moments. The band, they're going to come and they're going to lead us. 
They're going to lead us in a song that has just been ministering to me personally over the last few months. It's one of the songs I heard for the first time and just put it on repeat. I've just been wearing it out. And whenever I knew what I'd be preaching on today, I came to Kyle and I just said, man, you guys have got to play this song. We need to start uh, singing this with our church. If there was ever a song that that fit a message, it's the song that, that we're about to sing. And I pray, even if you don't know it, that it ministers to you like it's ministered to me. And in the next few moments, here's the permission I just want to give you. Respond however God is leading. Maybe you're that person who's walked in today and you really are in the midst of a storm. Life's hard. You're trying to hold on. You don't know where to turn. Our prayer team's here. Listen, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to just remind you today that Jesus has you, hasn't left you. And that if you'll stay anchored in him, he will pull you through. Maybe you just want to come and, and kneel at the front of this room as an altar before the Lord. We'll put a hand on you, pray over your life. Or maybe you're that person in the room who knows Jesus, but you're not living under his authority. You're not doing the things that, that he said to do. And today, maybe you need to come back under that authority and ask God to assume lordship over your life once again. Whatever you need to do, I just want you to feel the freedom and permission to do it in the next few moments. God, we don't want to miss out on what you want to do in our lives. So I'm asking you, God, would you just invade this space? Would you pour out your Holy Spirit? Would you allow him to move freely, to do things he wants to do, to do things that only he can do? And God, give us the humility and the courage we need to respond in the way you're calling us to respond. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this foundation that we stand upon, Jesus Christ. We pray all this in his name. Amen.